Welcome back to the Renaissance, episode 36, yeah. Ray. Hello. <laughs> In our last episode, we talked about the beginning of the uh, Avignon Papacy, the Babylonian mm. captivity, when the popes came under the control of the French king, Philip, and they... Uh, Packed up their bags, left Rome, mm-hmm. and went to uh, Avignon. Not France, Naples, no. close to France, right, but, close but under enough. the control of France they were, yeah. Now, after the death of Clement V, mm-hmm. the first of the Avignon popes, uh, Dante wrote to the Italian cardinals yeah. uh, and said... I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> it's a clerk's joke for Kevin Smith fans, both of the both of you. Uh, I love that movie. Yeah, I was going to sing yeah. "Baby, Hold On," but that's that's fine. Yeah, no, he he was just telling the Italian cardinals, "Hold out for an Italian pope. We got to get it back. We got to get it back to Rome. This is this is a travesty in the making." Uh, but like you said uh, on the previous episode, because so many. Um, French uh, men had been elected cardinals. There's only like six of the 23 cardinals that are Italian. So they're not going to get their way. So as the conclave comes together again, it's time to uh, decide who's going to be the Pope. But because they are in this part of the country, they are not in Italy, the locals are making their wishes known to the cardinals. Yeah, they are. So the cardinals met just out side of Avignon in their conclave to decide who the new pope was going to be. The the, the place was surrounded by the locals screaming, yeah. death to the Italian cardinals. Damn. These are Christians, right? Ah, uh, yes. Very, okay. very much Christians. Just, just yeah. check. <laughs> um, you, can, you, you can tell they're Christians because um, they set fire to the building where the conclave was meeting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's in uh, 2 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 6. Thou shalt burn. 2 Corinthians. Yeah. Mm. So the popes are almost Um, killed, being burnt to death. uh, Yes. The cardinals. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cardinals, yeah. yeah. Well, there's probably one of them is the future pope because they usually pick a pope from the cardinals. Right. Um, So the cardinals have to make a run for it (laughs) through a passage in a rear wall. And they all go back to their respective uh, places. There's no conclave for two years. Oh, my God. I just have to say real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt, when they had to tear a hole in the wall to get out of there before they were consumed by fire, I'm I'm thinking that they were probably appreciative that it wasn't a herringbone pattern and therefore very sturdy, and they probably would not have been able to break out. So good for them. They got out of there. And, and like you said, um, they're too afraid to make a decision for the Pope. And so it's going to lag for for two years. And it did take French troops in the first place to get Clement elected. Now we're back to square one. Yeah. Yeah. So two years, there's no Pope. They finally met again in Lyon under the protection of French soldiers, and they make Jacques Duez the Pope. Right. Uh, He takes takes the title John the 22nd. Yeah. Now, he was already 72 years old, Damn. not expected to live long. He's obviously, he's French. Yeah. Um, 
but he ended up surviving 18 years and had a huge influence in affairs. Yeah. You got a little bit about his background because he came from sort of a poor background. Yeah. um, Like Christ, he had a humble beginning. Uh, He's a son of a cobbler, but he does end up studying civil and canon law. And he did help out when the Templars were being persecuted. So that got him some uh, some good points with the Pope or with the Cardinals, excuse me. Uh, but then eventually he's made bishop. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. He helped helped who? He helped, um, I thought it was the church persecute yeah. the Templars. Yeah. Sa- yeah, sounded like you said he helped oh, the Templars. He tem- but no, no, he no, helped the, no, he helped the church. He helped persecute the Templars. Persecute, prosecute, persecute, yeah. yeah. So he, he might have lit the fire himself. I'm not really sure. He gets promoted to bishop. And then, as you said, uh, he is going to be elected pope. And I think because he was 72, I'm thinking, look, it's been two years. The Cardinals, let's just elect someone who won't be around that long. At least we can get the institution going. Because I've got to imagine the church is not doing so well, and when I say that I mean financially not having a Pope, let's put someone at the head, even if it's just an old French coot, who probably is not long for this world. Well, he came from poor beginnings, but he ended up uh, being the teacher of the children to the King of Naples, Robert, who we've talked about before, Yeah, uh, who was French, by the way. So... um, it was Robert who bribed the Italian cardinals to make John Pope. Are, are you saying that money um, has yeah. an effect on cardinals? That doesn't sound right. Dante, as I said before, was writing to the Italian cardinals. There's only six of them, but writing right. to them, that obviously, well, not obviously, but it has to be a unanimous election. Right. He was writing to them saying, whatever you do, make sure it's an Italian pope. Um, Robert came in and said, listen, what's it going to take? Uh, and they told him and he gave them money and that was that. Now, speaking of money, John the XXII um, had a great skill for making money, more than any other pope that came before him. The Midas touch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, his predecessors, he would sell beneficiaries. Benef- fuck, I should have learned how to say this word. Beneficiaries. Do you know how to say ben- this benefic- word? Benef- I ben- thought it was benefices, but benefices. Uh, yeah, benef- uh, benefic- according to YouTube, one benef- benefices, one benefice, <laughs> two benefices, benefices. <laughs> right, church poop, right. good poop. <laughs> Bene is good. The pope, pope poop. The, That's the best kind of poop there is. The good poop, yeah. benefices. Right, <laughs> positions. He, he sold appointments and positions. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll edit that out. You can trust me. Got your back. <laughs> I recorded a podcast with my boys the other day uh, I that it. I put out in the bullshit filter. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you heard the first version or the second version because the uh, first version, Hunter says something about somebody being a retard at the moment. Yes, um, that was in there. And then he said, "Oh, yeah, edit, edit that out." And of course, I didn't. And then he heard it and he, he rang me up. He was furious that oh I didn't edit God. that out. So I said, "Well, you fucking edited it out. I don't have time to edit yeah, shit out." You're busy. So he edited it out and sent me the new copy, which uh, I uploaded. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard the because he didn't. He, he I said, "Hey, listen, if you don't want to get in trouble for saying, you know, the R word, don't say it." Yeah, there's an idea. Yes, uh, he said, "You're not, you're not, my, you're not a good father. <laughs> you suck." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "It looks bad on you because people will think." 
what kind of a father are you that you <laughs> let your children say this? And I said, well, you're an adult now. It's yeah, not, it's you not know, on we, me. Uh, uh, what, what am I going to do? Like send, you. You know, put you in. For, time out? <laughs> yeah, put you in time out. Like, really? <laughs> Anywho. Um, now, he, like, John sold benefices. On steroids. Um, lo- like his predecessors. So if you want to be a, a rector or a vicar. Yeah. Um, but like Donald Trump telling lies, he did it without blushing. He didn't try right. and, you know, do it quietly under the table. Yeah. He was like, fuck yes, you yeah. come come to me if you've got the cash. He had a stall uh, down at the markets on the weekend. Right. Get, you know, get, get your vicarship here. <laughs> Uh, I, I was going to say he had a hot air balloon with a giant sign that would just float yeah. around Avignon. So, you know, he, yeah. he was unabashed. And I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say the results um, say he did well. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. By the time he died, the papal treasury, which had been pretty much empty yeah. when he took over, uh, had 18 million gold florins in it, which I estimate, yeah. based on my knowledge of uh, <laughs> florin conversion rates, <laughs> how much do you think that's worth in today's money? I'm going to guess 750 million. No, no, you're way, way out. Oh, what is it? Because you got that from a book that did was I, written 70 years ago. Did I use and the I don't know app? if you know this, but right. uh, money has changed okay. since 1950. 751 million. 4.1 billion <laughs> in today's money. I got all the zeros part right. And it also had seven million florins of jewelry and plate. Right. Damn. Fancy, fancy plates, uh, which is about one point six billion. So, but it's, roughly six yeah. billion dollars in convertible funds. So, uh, the church had by the time he died, mostly from selling ecclesiastical privileges yeah. and benefices. So I guess these are, I just have to ask real quick. I mean, that's obviously a shit ton of money. So I guess there's a lot of either well-to-do families or families that have worked hard and saved up to buy their smartest male child out of the, out of the brood uh, a, a position so they can then obviously fleece the people and, and take care of the family. But that's a lot of money that's coming out of the, I don't even know what to call it, um, from all over Europe um, that could have hopefully went to other things and helped people out. But no, it's, it's all going to the church so these people can get positions and be even more corrupt and get even more money and take care of their friends and family. It's a friends yeah, and I family if you plan. Could, I wonder if you could go, get a bank loan. You go, uh, listen, I need to, I need, <laughs> yeah. need to borrow a million gold becoming... florins. What's it for? <laughs> I need to buy a, a vicar ship. Oh, okay. Okay, which one? Uh, oh, yeah, I know that Does one. Yeah, matter? guy just died. Um, in fact, John didn't even wait for people to die. Sometimes he would say, "Yeah, I don't, this guy is offering money to buy your vicarship, so you're out. I'm right. firing you as a vicar because he can raise more. in order to get yeah, because this guy's willing to buy your vicarship, um, yeah. and I want the cash. Yeah. Now, the, the the buying and selling of ecclesiastical privileges is called simony." Oh, okay. Or simony. Simony or simony. I've, I've heard simony, yeah. Simony comes from Simon Magus. 
Mm. Do you know about Simon Magus? No, tell me. Oh, man, it's a great fucking story. Um, he appears once, I think, in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Um, he was trying to buy the secret to conferring the Holy Ghost from the Apostle Peter. Sure. He saw Peter come come around and start going, you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the Holy Ghost. And Simon said, hey, 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 how much? How much for the power of, of conferring the Holy Ghost? And Peter said, how dare you, sir? It's like a mil- million gold florins. But how dare you, sir? I'm shocked that there is gambling going on in this establishment. Now, not only do we get the, the word simony from Simon Magus, we get mm-hmm. the word magician from Simon Magus. Really? Magus? No, I don't know. Magic. I'm making that up. Oh, no. I, you had me going. See, I trust <laughs> I trust too readily, and that's one of my faults. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, uh, he was Simon the Magician. Simon the Sorcerer right. uh, was what he was known as. And he had now, a beautiful um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are other stories of him uh, when you dig down into some of the apocryphal uh, literature. Right. Um, kind of interesting. He was supposedly, he had his own thing going. And um, there's some magic involved. Um, he was, you know, he was supposedly magic and, 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 um, there was this one story that's in, I think it's the Acts of Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Acts of Peter and the Acts of Peter and Paul, which are apocryphal, uh, early Christian writings. I think it's in the Acts of Peter where, uh, Simon is performing magic in the forum Right. Proving himself to be a god. He's flying in the air. Sure. He levitates. Peter says a prayer to God who makes him stop flying, falls to the ground, and breaks his legs. Oh, and come then, on, God. That's... And then people start stoning him to death because he <laughs> fell. What? You're not, really, you're not really magic, but I was flying. Yeah, but, but, but flying then now. you fell. So, right. yeah. But well, I was up in the first place. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if, not good enough. If I could be honest with you, the only person that I would stone is somebody with two broken legs who, who couldn't get up and chase me. So that's actually, uh, yeah, that sounds right. But the thing I like the most about it is some other literature known as the pseudo-Clementine writings. Mm-hmm. Um, they came up with the song, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling, <laughs> pseudo-Clementine. Um, they claim that the Ebionite sect, you know, you ever heard of the Ebionites? I've heard, but I don't know Jack Squat. Um, I, I know Jack Squat. He's a good guy. But that's another story. Um, the Ebionites were an early Christian sect. I talk about them a little bit in my film, which is coming up but briefly. Um, they claimed to be uh, descended from James and the original Jesus movement. Wow. They were quite powerful. They were quite big for hundreds of years up until Theodosius sort of outlawed them. They survived in different forms after that too, but kind of crushed them. But they uh, believe that Paul, St. Paul, Mm -hmm. was a crook and a fraud and a con man. 
um, because he was the one that said, you know what, you don't need to be a Jew anymore. They were like, yeah, you need to be a Jew. And they also, uh, Ebionite means the poor, apparently. So they believe you had to be poor, like the the, the Knights Templar and the Franciscans. Right. Um, but they believed that Paul was actually Simon Magus, uh-huh. that the whole story of Simon Magus was actually the story of Paul, that he story. was the fraudster and the fake, uh, who bought his way into the church. Right. There's, other, there's this other thing in, in the book of Acts and in Paul's epistles where Paul's going around raising money to take back to what he calls the saints in Jerusalem. So he's actually, he was collecting money. It looks like a bribe in order to let him get the original guys running the Jesus movement to let him go out and build his church uh, right. with the Gentiles. Anyway, fucking I don't know how I got into that rabbit hole. Did you ever think about Simony. doing something oh, yeah. like that or a pyramid scheme to raise money for your film? It sounds like there's a lot of good yeah. examples in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, No, I should. <laughs> well, the, the Pope had a very good reason for having absolutely no, no morals and he's willing to sell anything, even his, uh, even his cat. Um, he, he told everybody that when the papacy moved from Rome to Avignon, that they lost all the revenues from Rome, and so he was forced to be a charlatan. It was, it was completely beyond his control. However, on the good side, he did do some good things with this money. He did support learning. He did help establish medical schools in Perugia and Cahors. He did support universities. He founded a Latin college. College in Armenia. He encouraged the study of Oriental languages. Uh, he well, he did fight against magic, but at the same time, at night when all the work was done, he'd whip out a candle or two and he did study the Bible. He did spend time uh, in scholastic studies, and maybe because of that reading, he did come up with ideas that seemed to tip um, tip the apple cart. He seemed to piss off a couple of people. One of the things that he said was that no one, not even the Mother of God. And when you're talking to Catholics, you know you're going to get in trouble when you start off with not even the mother of God, could obtain the beatific vision, which is direct communication with God, until the last judgment. So this pissed off a whole bunch of people. Um, it pissed off the people that study the final destiny of the soul of humankind. The University of Paris, again, just like they did with the other gentleman, um, denounced his views. Even Philip VI of France ordered him to back the fuck up with these statements. He probably didn't word it that way, but I'm guessing. Um, but, however, before the pressure could come on him too great as for this heresy, he escapes all of them by conveniently dying. He was like 88, 89 or something like that. He dies on December 4th. 1334. So don't study the Bible too much because you just may end up questioning it and getting the University of Paris pissed at you. Yeah, I want to go back a bit and talk yep. about um, magic and witchcraft. He Please. is the guy, John the Twenty Second. He's the guy that made witchcraft something that could be tried under the Inquisition. Ooh. Now, before that, apparently witchcraft was either ignored as being an old, harmless, pagan superstition. Right. A bit like I think of Christianity. Or um, <laughs> occasionally it was taken a little bit more seriously. And, and John apparently was the victim of either an assassination attempt using poison or he thought it was magic. Oh, shit. 
and he suspected witchcraft was being used against him. He obviously oh. believed in it. So he went after right. the witches and got the Inquisition to go after the witches. Now, the Inquisition, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about as well. It goes back uh, a bit like the, the Knights Templar to the 12th century. Right. It goes back to France. It was used to combat religious dissent. Mm. So one of the things that people don't understand, I think, often about Christianity is there has never been a time, never, in all of Christian history where Christians agreed on how to be good Christians. (laughs) Right. Honestly, there's never, never, never been a time. That's their one consistency. Christianity... Yeah, <laughs> Christians have been fighting each other mm-hmm. since literally Paul and Peter and James. That's kind of the point of my film is that the earliest writings that we have about Christianity, which are the epistles of Paul, demonstrate right. that the Christians were fighting each other. Paul's <laughs> arguing and fighting with James and Peter. There's also other <laughs> preachers going out and right. talking to Paul's communities that Paul says are preaching a different Jesus. Ooh. To him, right. He's looking and he's, at me. He's writing oh. letters. Right. He's writing letters to his community, saying, "Don't listen to them and what they tell you about Jesus. They're oh. wrong. They're preaching a different Jesus." Right. Now, the, the, one of the questions I ask in my film is, "What the fuck does a different Jesus mean?" Right. But when you realise that Jesus is the anglicised version of Joshua, which is the Greek version of, of Yeshua which mm-hmm. just means Yahweh saves in Hebrew or saviour. Jesus just means saviour, and Christ just means saviour right. as well. So the anointed one, the saviour. So Jesus Christ means saviour, the saviour, or, or saviour squared. Right. Um, so if you had a lot of different saviour cults, messiah cults running around uh, sort of the Roman Empire, um, then they would all be preaching a Jesus, because Jesus just means saviour. So when Paul says they're teaching a different Jesus, I think there's just a lot of different messianic cults that were running around, Ah. pseudo-Judaic slash mystery cults preaching about saviours. Anyway, so getting back to the Inquisition. So uh, one of the things the Inquisition was set up to fight against was the Cathars. Ooh, okay. The, the, The Cathars were pretty big. Uh, in France in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. The Cathars believed that there were two gods, the good one of the New Testament right. and the evil one of the Old Testament. Can the Jewish s- God was right. evil. Right. The, G- the God of Jesus is the good God. So you don't even need the devil. You've got a good God and a bad God. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> Just- um, James Brown was a Cathar. He, that's why he go good God whenever he uh, was singing something. He was <laughs> um, now they, the Cathars were very similar in many ways to the um, Gnostics from the second third century uh, and the um, Marcionites. Mm-hmm. Marcion uh, was a early leader of a big Christian movement. He was pro Paul. Um, but hated the Jews, and uh, he's actually the guy who first started to pull together something like a Bible. He collected mm. Paul's letters and I think the Gospel of Luke, which was the only gospel he liked, 
But then he cut a bunch of stuff out of it that he didn't like. He had his own version of the sure. Gospel of Luke. Because he knew um, best. All the stuff that sounded a bit too Jewy cut <laughs> no. out of that. No. And he also said, yeah, there was the, the, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different gods. Because if you read the Old Testament, yeah. that God is vicious and yeah. violent Don't and mean and, right. and preachy. He's obviously not the same God as the God of the New Testament, who's yeah, all hippie. about, you know, the hippie yeah. God. That's yeah. right, yeah. So the Cathars didn't believe in killing of any form, so they were vegetarians as well. They right. wouldn't even kill animals to eat them. Right. They were against war. They were against capital punishment. Sure. Um, which made them very unusual in the Middle Ages. They were also against reproduction. Um, okay. Because they believe that reproduction led to children being born, which led to suffering. That's true. And the the chain of reincarnation being continued. So that, you know, having kids just produce more suffering in the world. So that's not good. Makes them sound a bit like Buddhists, actually. Did you say reincarnation? Yeah. Are we talking about Christians? Yeah. I thought you pretty much died and then you went to heaven or hell. How does... Reincarnation. No. Never mind. No. Okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. So they also allowed women to be leaders of their churches. That's not Um, right. So none of this went down well with the Catholics. So, um, of course, you know, uh, um, the various popes and kings and whatever over a century or so tried to talk the Cathars out of being Cathars. When that didn't work, they decided to kill them. So they launched uh, because that's. Step two in the Bible. Um, if at first you don't succeed, kill them <laughs> kill all. Kill them all. Um, them out. Which is actually where this saying comes from. So Pope <laughs> Innocent III launched a crusade against them in 1208. Oh. And this is where the famous story comes from. When the crusaders are laying siege to a city uh, and a commander was asked, one of the, the crusader commanders was asked by one of his soldiers how to tell the Cathars from the Catholics oh, in the city. And he replied, kill them all, the Lord <gasps> will recognize his own. Wow. Or kill them, kill them all and let God sort it out, as, right. it, as it's sometimes translated. On my T-shirt. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was their approach. Just, yeah, just kill, kill them all. Look, isn't the Black Death um, killing enough people? I mean, we need somebody around, but no, mm. never mind. Now, the doors of the Church of St. Mary Magdalene in this city were broken down. Everyone was dragged out and slaughtered. Uh, in this one city, 7,000 men, oh. women, and children were killed by Catholic forces. 7,000 Christians were killed by the Catholics because they weren't being the right kind of Christians. Right. So um, to die. Thousands more in that town were mutilated and killed. Um, overall, across France, we don't know how many were killed, but there are stories that prisoners were deliberately blinded, uh, then <sighs> dragged behind horses. They were used for target practice by the Crusaders. Right. The city was then uh, raised by fire, and the, one of the commanders of the Crusaders, Arno Amori, wrote to Pope Innocent III. He said, Today, Your Holiness, 20,000 heretics were put to the sword, regardless of rank, age, or sex. 
And Pope Innocent III said, you fucking beauty. That's how I like it done, son. Get it done, son. Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> so Christian on Christian violence. Yeah. you got to love that. Well, actually, it's things like that that make it a little hard for me to enjoy Christian on Christian violence. And I know it's not going to stop anytime soon, but... And, and like you said at the very beginning of the first episode, that people who are Christians today will say... Oh, they they weren't Christians, or they're not like us, or we've changed, or we've evolved. It's not the same anymore. In some ways, it doesn't matter. This is what you come from. Yeah, although, you know, I've talked to someone on the shows before, I can't remember which, but uh, when America was getting ready to invade Iraq in 2003, you had George Bush saying that, you know, he'd prayed and God had told him this is what he wanted to do. So basically, that was a... A Christian sending armies right. to defeat uh, Muslims because God told them it was and the, okay. Yeah, and there were there were different units that were having uh, biblical verses put on their barrels of their guns uh, that were saying prayers before they went into battle. Prayer Jeez. groups over there attacking Muslims. So yeah. you know this is still going on today. Exactly. I mean, America's armies are still essentially Christian armies that are going and fighting in Muslim countries. Not exactly Christian on Christian violence, right. though, so yeah. it's just Christian still, violence. Still a lot of Christian killing. Anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a quick background on uh, the Cathars and the mm. Inquisition and uh, now the witches. Anyway, um, as you said, John was accused of heresy during his lifetime, uh, saying that people didn't get the beatific vision until the last judgment. Anyway, when he died in 1334, he was replaced by Jacques Fournier, uh, right. another Frenchman, son of a baker this time. Oh, he he becomes Pope Benedict the Twelfth, right? December 1334. Now, yeah, his election uh, didn't go very smoothly as well. You got the story about that in your notes? No, please tell me about it. Oh, well, the conclave were actually going to elect another guy, the Bishop of Porto, um, who was an Italian, but they mm-hmm. oh, wanted him to swear in advance to agree not to return the papacy to Rome. And he said, I'm not signing up for that. And so they said, well, fuck you. And they right. voted this other guy in to be Pope instead, Fournier, <laughs> a Frenchman. Now, Fournier, uh, Benedict Twelfth apparently clamped down on some of the excesses of John the 22nd. There was less bribery and corruption. Uh, He was apparently fairly happy to live a simple life, but he also built a palace for himself and the future popes in Avignon. Yeah, before you jump into that, I just have to say, like you said, he try he does give a few members of his family, you know, offices, so so he can take care of that. But by and large, he does try to to shut that down and just try to work on corruption. And he has this novel idea. He goes, from now on, I'm going to give offices and positions to people based on merit instead of fees. And I couldn't help but connect that to Seinfeld saying, "Sex to save the friendship." <laughs> okay, I don't know how that is connected, but me, sure, know, any just, Seinfeld, just any ironic, excuse for a Seinfeld the, quote. 
No, j- just the the irony of that. Uh, he's trying something new. Yeah, that's when that's when Jerry decided to have sex with Elaine again. Yeah, yeah. They 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 were justifying it to themselves to have sex, but that their friendship would still survive. And they get into that ridiculous coming up with a system that impresses George Costanza at the deli very much. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he uh, Benedict decided to build the papal palace in Avignon, um, and he invites Giotto to come and uh, paint it cover it with frescoes. Giotto, we've talked about before, sort of the greatest pre-Renaissance artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but Giotto died before he could get there. So uh, Benedict invited Giotto's pupil, Simone Martini. Instead, he invented oh. the Martini, um, this guy. <laughs> he uh, was famous for that. He used to make this drink, like to dirty few olives. They say, what is that that you drink? He goes, I don't know. They go, we call it the martini. He said, okay. Yeah, yeah. Martini, though, uh, in all seriousness, was a friend of Petrarch and, according to Vasari, painted two portraits of Laura oh. for Petrarch. Yeah, the hot one, supposedly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because we've done that story, everyone knows the Petrarch right. and Laura story. Right. Well, that's all I've got on Benedict. Do you have anything more on Benedict before we get to Clement the Sixth? Um, just that, uh, yeah, he, he uh, tried to uh, get the clergy to not fleece the parishioners so much. He has very little success with that. He does try to make peace between the papacy and the Franciscans, uh, who are there, there at odds. Um, I think it was... Um, he was against the uh, the branch of them called the spirituals, who contended with the who were who tried to push the view on the church, and you you kind of mentioned this earlier that Christ and his apostles had possessed absolutely nothing, either together or separately, and the church should try to emulate that, which obviously does not go very well. So again, this guy is banging his head against a lot of things because the way the culture is now with the church, it's, it's just not working out very well with him. Uh, Benedict also tried to make peace with the Holy Roman Emperor Louis IV, got a little where with, uh, got a little ways with that. He worked on questions Lewis? of the... Louis, Louis, Louis the Fourth. Sorry, I'm, I'm an American, so I say Louis. I apologize. So he worked on questions of theology, and he rejected many of the ideas of John the Twenty Second who came before him. And one of them was um, Benedictus Deus in 1336. He defined uh, his dogma said that the church. Uh, defied the church's belief that souls of, and again, this is just more hair splitting as far as this non-Christian is concerned. He was fighting against the idea that the church's belief that the souls of the departed go to the go to their eternal reward immediately after death, as opposed to remaining in a state of unconscious existence until the last judgment. So again, he's they're splitting hairs about when you actually go to heaven or whatever. Uh, he tried to get along with Philip the Sixth. That did not go over very well. However, unlike some popes, he was not cruel. He did not kill if he did not have to, and he does die in April of thirteen forty-two. So the next pope, another Frenchman, Pierre Roger, yeah, the fourth uh, pope. aka Clement the Sixth. Now. Yeah. This guy, unlike his two predecessors, mm-hmm. came from French nobility. Yeah. He liked luxury. He yeah. liked the he bling. Just- <laughs> and- like Jesus. 
he didn't, yeah, like Jesus, he didn't understand why a pope, yeah, who, let's face it, is a basically a king, right, should live a simple life when the papal treasury by now was fully stocked. He's giving out benefices to everyone who asked for one. Literally. He's like Oprah. Literally. You've got a benefice. You've got a benefice. You've got a benefice. <laughs> he said he didn't like people to leave disappointed. Aww. Look, they come. I've got to give them something yeah. to say thank you. I just give them a, a vicarship. Yeah. I give them something so they go away happy. Yeah. Especially his own family. He... <laughs> He just made his entire family uh, high-ranking members of the church. Uh, when he died, yeah. there were 44 statues of relatives that oh surrounded my- his sarcophagus. God. People that he'd given senior positions in the church to during his lifetime. 44 of his relatives. I don't even have 44 relatives. <laughs> he was. He I was, couldn't name more than about seven of my relatives. And I don't like most of them. Yeah, so um, I guess he was the most popular when it came to family reunions. But you probably read a part, the part where he goes, look, for the next two months, any poor clergyman comes to me will not leave unhappy. And supposedly, and you never know, but 100,000 people came to him. Let's just call it 50,000 just to be safe. And as far as we can tell, he said yes to the vast majority of them. But you're right, I mean, he's used to money. He's used to the finer things. And let's be honest, he probably doesn't really get the concept of things cost because there's always been money around in his life. And now he's just bling, blinging all over the place because he's the Pope. And like you said, the treasury is full. Life is about having a good time. And that's exactly what he's doing. But on the other hand, he does give money to artists. He does give money to poets. He does have a a stable of horses that any king would be jealous of. And he does lack the ladies. So he lets the ladies into his courts. And he enjoys their favors. But I wasn't sure how much to read into that statement. Maybe he just liked being surrounded by beautiful women. Don't we all? I'm pretty sure he enjoyed them in every way possible. Biblically. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the, the Romans and Petrarch invited him to move the papacy back to Rome. Oh. He was like, mm, no, I don't think so. But he did throw them a bone. He decided to celebrate right. the Jubilee every 50 years instead of 100 years. So they nice. get to have a party. Rome was so happy yeah. at this that this is when they deposed Rienzi and mm-hmm. agreed to uh, submit to the papacy again for a little period. Yeah. Rienzi had kicked yeah, they, out they the uh, warlords. Right. And they said, yeah. we'll kick yeah. him out and we'll, we'll submit to the Pope again. But here's the other part. So uh, the, the important thing about this um, uh, Pope is that he, he turns the church practically into a corporation, even though there's money uh, in the coffers, he, he gets um, that organization is needed to handle that money and to bring in more. So he sets up the apostolic chamber, which is in charge of the finances. And the head of that department, the head of that chamber, is second only to Pope 
to the Pope, which shows you how important that money was to them. In the first place, he sets up the papal uh, chancery, which deals with the correspondence of the Pope. He sets up the papal judiciary, a court of appeals, and he sets up the apostolic penitentiary, a college of clergy, and they're going to be dealing with excommunications, interdicts, marital dispensations. And as you can imagine, over the next couple of years, this branch of the papacy is going to be extremely busy passing out excommunications and interdicts. When he's running around building this palace that Benedict started much, much larger, and he's, yeah. he's you know, giving out all of these different uh, yeah. uh, positions in the church, somebody apparently criticized him and said none of his predecessors had acted like this. He famously replied, our predecessors did not know how to be pope. Oh, I like to think, you don't know how to pope properly. I know how to pope. (laughs) Watch me pope. Yeah. But you're right. I mean... Now, one of the other... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, one of the other things that he did was purchase Avignon from Queen Joan of Naples for the sum of 80,000 crowns. Right. So now they actually own... Avignon. They're not just nice. renting it from the King of Naples. It's now right. his own his own territory. Wow. Now, I was just going to say that, you're right, so Benedict XII had started building the Palace of the Popes. Um, you have to have living chambers, council halls, chapels, offices, courts. There's going to be two courts, and I'm not talking about tennis courts. Um, he, so he builds this, he helps build this, even though it's not finished and, and while he's Pope. This is a massive, beautiful structure, and I did put a picture up on Facebook, um, but mm. in case the popes are ever attacked again, he doesn't want to have to rely on the king of France. That's the whole point, to try to be independent. So this entire massive and beautiful structure is behind ramparts, it's behind towers. He doesn't want to have to rely on God or the French king for protection in the, in the future. He wants to be able to rely on himself and his own troops. Now, Clement VI had the misfortune to be the Pope who was on the throne when the Black Death first hit Europe in 1347. He attributed it to divine wrath, as I think we talked about in an earlier episode, maybe the Petrarch or the Boccaccio episodes. But he also sought the opinions of astrologers, and this is when Johann de Murray Mm-hmm. came up with the idea that of the uh, that the conjunction of Saturn Jupiter in Mars <laughs> uh, in 1341 what about had Uranus? No, caused the Black Death. Right. Um, you, don't want, you don't want those planets to line up, man. Oh, all People sorts start of bad things like that can happen. Yeah. His um, his physicians, Clement's physicians, advised him to surround himself with torches to block the plague. I think that's which in a bathroom. Funnily enough, that actually worked because the plague is actually, of course, spread by human contact. If you're surrounded with torches, right, people can't get at you, so they can't infect you with the plague. Ah. So uh, probably kind, kind of good suggestion. I'm yeah, going to do science. That. Yeah. That's science, bitches. <laughs> Next time somebody in my family gets a cold, I'm going to have servants surround me with torches. Um, anyway, Clement eventually decided the best bet was just to lock himself in his room and never come out, which is what he did. Oh um, he basically just locked himself in and said, you know what? 
fuck all y'all. I don't <laughs> want to get sick. Uh, let right. kill them all. Let God sort them out. Um, <laughs> and I just have to mention real quick, and I know you mentioned this. Um, I think you, uh, yeah, I know you did on a couple of episodes, but when you had the Black Death of 1347, some of the people in Europe, not as modern, as progressive as we are, blame the Jews, start killing a lot of Jews. But Clement VI, to his credit, does issue two papal bulls in 1348 saying, you know what, leave the Jews alone. They didn't do this. If you look really closely, you can see that they're dying too. So if this is their plan, it's not very effective, okay? And then in the papal bull, there's a line that says, if you believe this, you have been seduced by that liar, the devil. So again, Ooh. no magic, but but yeah, the devil's trying to trick you to kill the Jews. So you got to give him points for trying to stop the uh, the I guess this phase of uh, of a Jewish Holocaust. Mm. Well, um, one of the other things that he got done, Clement, was to excommunicate the Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> Louis the Fourth. I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen forty-six. He said, "You know what? Don't like the way you're emperoring." Um, <laughs> he basically excommunicated him and right. had Charles the Fourth elected. Yeah. We don't have time to get into all the details of the conflict between Louis and Clement, but basically Louis wasn't taking orders from the Pope. He said, "You're not the boss of me." He said, <laughs> "Oh, you think?" So he excommunicated him. Um, Louis died a couple of years later anyway, and Charles IV was basically uh, recognized as the new pope, which ended the schism, which had divided yes. Germany for a long time. Nice. Now, Clement also proclaimed a crusade in 1343, but it never mm. really happened. He also had a role in the Hungarian invasion of the Kingdom of Naples, uh, it was basically a contest between Louis I of Hungary and Joanna. Yeah. of uh, Naples, Queen Joan, Queen Joanna. Um, this is We talked about this story before. Her husband mm-hmm. was uh, killed. She was blamed for <laughs> it, and uh, the trial was actually held at Avignon. She was acquitted. So he gets involved in right. that. Because she paid. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. So that is, sorry, the story of Clement. What else have I got here? Oh, a little bit more about um, just sort of the the finances of the church at this stage. So we've mentioned that their traditional sources of income had dried up since they'd been in Avignon. At this stage, they've been in Avignon for like 40 years. Um, Italy isn't sending them any money because they felt they'd been deserted by the papacy uh, and, and a whole bunch of uh, bourgeois had taken over the old papal states. Um, Germany only sent half its annual tribute. Uh, the French were borrowing money from the church. <laughs> they were taking money, yeah. Yeah, to finance the 100 years. Backers. Right. To finance the 100 years war with England. England wasn't sending them any money because they were in the Hundred Years' War with France and they basically saw the church as uh, an ally of France. So, you know, the Avignon Popes are forced to squeeze every florin they can out of every crevice. And some of the ways (laughs) that they got the money, apart from just selling off benefices, as we mentioned, um, every bishop or abbot, 
had to pay one-third of his annual income to the Pope. He also had to pay ongoing bribes to the people who voted for his election in the first place. Right. Nice. And if he became and an one-third arch... of the revenue. Yeah. Sorry. I had one-third. Oh, one-third of his income. Is that different from the revenue? It, it was one-third of the, the perspective... One third of the prospective income, and then one tenth of its revenue. So I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's when a new pope was elected. Um, uh, every office, every office holder, had to send him the full revenue for one year and a tenth of the revenue for every year after that. Damn. That's for everybody, not just bishops or abbots who had to pay right. a third. If you became an archbishop, you had to pay a huge fee to the Pope for the circular band of white wool that you wore as your insignia for the right. office. Right. Um, and if you're a cardinal, an archbishop, a bishop, or an abbot, and you die, all your personal possessions and effects belong to the papacy. And in the interim between the death of one of those guys and the appointment of the next, all of the revenue for his region went mm-hmm. directly to the papacy. So yeah. popes were accused of dragging out the appointment of new bishops uh, and cardinals. Because they control the money. Because, yeah, they, they got 100% of the revenue if there was no <laughs> one holding that seat. Um. And now, on top of that, a lot of bishops and abbots were feudal proprietors. They got their estates from their king, mm-hmm. so they had to pay him a tribute as well as provide him with soldiers. So these wow. guys are paying the kings, they're paying the popes, they're yeah. paying off the people that elected them. It's basically, you know, like Pyramids. having a corner store in New York right. and having to pay off the mafia, man, and like pay off several mob bosses. Right. And the cops. Yeah. It's like, have you, have you watched The Deuce yet? No. No. Uh, the, the David Simon's show, um, uh, David Simon, the creator of The Wise, his new show, I think they've just finished season two or maybe even three. Um, it's set in New York in the 70s. It's about the rise of the porn industry. Uh, stars James Franco as himself and his twin brother and Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> as um, a prostitute who ends up becoming a porn director. Wow. Um, but, but it's about the mob and the brothels and prostitution and the pimps. It's fantastic. Jeez. But um, you see, like, some of these brothel owners, illegal brothels in uh, New York in the 70s, they're paying off the mob for protection. They're paying off the cops right. to stop them from busting them. They're paying off the politicians right. from sending the cops to bust them. Everyone's got their hands in the till, you know. Uh, these guys are making a lot of money, but then they're paying it out hand over fist to everyone for bribes. That's what it was like being a bishop or an abbot or a cardinal in these days. A lot yeah. of them yeah. went broke. Yeah, some of them just gave up because they could not keep up with the demand of all the hands that were out. And so they just walked away from their positions or walked away from their parish or whatever because it was all about the money. Yeah. The Avignon Popes basically ran a huge business, a huge enterprise. Right. And the kings and the merchants of Europe started to get pissed at how much of the wealth of the land was being extracted by the church. Yeah. Even... 
even um, church people themselves, like yeah. leaders of the church, started to get sickened by how much money the church was amassing. One Spaniard uh, who was loyal to the papacy, but he wrote, wolves are in control of the church and feed on the blood of the Christian flock. Jeez. Yeah, if I can match that saying with another one, Edward III of England, who himself was a master at uh, fleecing his own countrymen for the Hundred, hundred Years' War, reminded Clement VI that the successor of the apostles was commissioned to lead the Lord's sheep to the pasture, not to fleece them. So when you have a king dissing you because you're fleecing too much, that's actually saying something. So you're right, this is nothing more than a giant money-grabbing scheme. Now, the the Pope, again, he can say, look, I'm trying to raise armies, I'm trying to retake the papal states, Uh, I've got the French kings borrowing money from me all of the time, Um, I need all the money I can get just to survive. And like you said earlier, there's some revenues of uh, uh, some revenues that have been that have dried up because the church is pissing off other countries and other kings. Yeah. So in Germany, uh, papal collectors, guys walking around trying to collect money <laughs> for the Pope, right? were hunted down, imprisoned, mutilated, oh and in some God. cases strangled to death. Oh my God. And the Black Death had hit, as we said before, at this stage. So people, like people, are dying in droves. Half yeah. the population is dead. Still, the Pope is trying to extract his pound of flesh from the people, um, and his own bishops and and priests and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 appalling. The right. popes are just after cash. And I think that's where we'll leave uh, episode 36. Yeah, I just have to mention real quick, uh, 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 Pope Clement VI had 400 people taking care of him and some family members, and each of those people were housed and fed by the papacy. So that's a huge revenue drain right there. And as you can imagine, the bishops and cardinals are following the example of their pope. Did you want to read out Petrarch's quote? Because I see you put a part of it on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I think I was going to do that in the next episode. Oh, okay. But but ju- just to say real quick that some of the priests obviously were honorable. They were doing the best they could. But in the current climate, honor does not get you advancement. It's all about the money. So, and uh, again, while the, the, the majority of the priests are pursuing the, de- the seven deadly sins and they're um, trying to help the Pope get as much money as they can. Like you said, they are taking a hit to their prestige and authority. The common people are getting pissed. The princes are getting pissed. The kings are getting pissed all over the place. People are starting to go, you know, this is really getting out of hand. And I don't blame God. I don't blame Jesus. It's the Pope. It's the French popes that are not doing their job right. And they are nothing more than a tool of the French. And the people are getting disgusted with the church. Well, before we leave, I want to thank uh, some of our recent subscribers. Uh, Laura Parkhouse, Marinda Jans van Rensburg, Andre Bravo, Andrew Jones, Azia Zaragoza, Kitty Taylor, Andrew Lim, Thomas Grace, and Kristen Lamb. Welcome to uh, the show. Thank you for your support. Oh. Uh, no, sorry. Go ahead. What? I we forgot to say that uh, the Pope died on December sixth, thirteen fifty two. He had been Pope for ten years. 
Okay, glad you got that. Sorry, in there. You, you've got you've got to have a bookend. Right. Uh, I want to read a review from Gargle Blaster in Australia. Uh, I like it firm and fruity. I think that's my favourite part of the multitude of podcasts that this dynamic duo put out is when Cam is off on a long monologue into a topic. Ray cuts in with a short quip and Cam is silent for a moment as he tries to suppress a laugh and then we get a minimum of five minutes of off-topic ribaldry. <laughs> this is a... Have I read this before? I've read this, this sounds before. familiar. Firm and fruity sounds Fuck familiar. Hell. Gargle Blaster, did you leave this review on two shows? Hey, he's trying to get a mug. Mug me, yeah. is what he's saying. Yeah, we mug probably me. already sent him a mug. All right. Yeah. All right, Gargle Blaster, I'm not reading it again. Okay, well, that's that for this show. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with more Popes of Avignon. <laughs>